Hey, y'all, I got a question for you. What's a piece of gear that you maybe have unintentionally overlooked in your rig throughout the years? Well, for me, it's always been guitar cables. I figured ah, it just goes from the guitar to the amplifier or the guitar to the pedal board to the amp. And if one breaks, whatever, I'll just go buy another one. No big deal. Thanks to the fine folks at Runway Audio, though, I have finally seen the light. Runway Audio is based in Nashville, Tennessee, which is awesome for me because that's right down the road. But it's awesome for you as well because Runway has the best cable on the market. And what makes it the best, you ask? Well, it has the lowest capacitance of any cable on the market right now at 20 picofarads per foot. And pretty much all that capacitance is is the ability to store an electrical charge. The lower the capacitance is, the less tone that it sucks from your cable from your guitar on the way to your amplifier. So if you're in the market for anything cable-related, whether it's instrument cables, patch cables, XLR cables, speaker cables, power cables, you name it, Runway Audio has got you covered. And if you go down to my link tree, click the link for Runway Audio. Any purchasing you will do, I will get a little bit of a kickback from that, which is always appreciated. So check out all the awesome stuff that Runway Audio is doing and pick something up to get the best tone possible. This episode today is brought to you by Stringjoy Guitar Strings, the finest strings on the market. For me, it has been the Orbiters that have been my absolute go-to ever since they've come out, and that's their coated electric strings. But if the coated thing's not your thing, totally get it. The signatures in the Broadways in their electric line, top-notch quality. For acoustic guitars, they have their Naturals and their Brights, along with the Foxwoods, which are their coated Phosphor Bonds. For all you bassists out there too, they have the signatures and the Rangers. Full disclosure, the link down below is my affiliate link. So if you would like to check out Stringjoy, click that link down below. Not only will you be getting the finest guitar strings on the market, but you'll also be helping out this podcast, which I greatly appreciate. So head on over to Stringjoy today. I'm not even close to the tip of the iceberg of all the awesome things that Stringjoy does. So click the link down below and check them out for yourself. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Before we get to today's guest, let's go ahead and knock out some housekeeping real quick. If you want to check me out on any social media platform, you can check me out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Pretty much if you search Man the Helm, you're probably going to find me there. Uh, So if you don't want to do all that, though, you can just scroll down to the show notes. My link tree will be right down there. You can click on anything you want to know. Uh, Everything from affiliate links for Stringjoy, Runway Audio, all that good stuff will be there. Um, which greatly helps the show if you guys happen to use those. But if not, you should get them anyway because they make awesome stuff. Uh, There also is my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support this show, and I greatly appreciate it. But what I even more appreciate is you spending your time here with me today to listen to me talk to people that I really don't have any business talking to. But such is the nature of podcasts. So let's get to today's episode with Barry from Grez Guitars. Welcome back to Man the Helm Podcast. I'm your host, Jake. Today, I am sitting down with Barry from Grez Guitars. What's up? Hey. Happy so, to be here. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, 
to be honest with you, man, um, I don't know if you're too familiar with um, kind of what I am about. I was out of the gear world for quite a while, and now I'm kind of getting back into it over the last about two years. So it's really awesome to kind of get, um, I almost get like a reinvigoration of, you know, knowledge and whatnot. So I knew of Grez Guitars, but I didn't really know a whole lot about you. But thankfully to the internet, I have podcasts like Philip Carter's The 40 Watt. I have Blake's The Tone Mob, you know, and I kind of got a little backstory because there's like, it's always cool to me because Grez Guitars is just kind of like the tip of the iceberg as far as what you've done in your life. You know what I mean? Um, and I know you've kind of told the story a few times, but for people that may not know, can we maybe kind of start like with a little bit of an origin story? Or Barry, yeah, and then kind of yeah. go from there. And you know, I, I hate to make myself sound too old, but you know, this is sort of like my third career, maybe something like that. I mean, that's um, how it rolls. Yeah, you know, I, the I, it seems like every every fifteen years or so, I need something new. Sure, <laughs> it feels yeah. like. Um, but I started out um, in electronics, actually. Okay. Um, maybe when I was seventeen or something like that. I took a summer class at the local junior college that was called something like an introduction to electronics. Okay. And I was immediately hooked. I thought, holy, holy smokes, this is amazing, right? You're right. You look at a piece of electronics and there's all this stuff in there. There are mm -hmm. colors and shapes. It looks like a little city of parts. And then this class sort of opened my eyes to what all these things were and it started to make sense and it wasn't magic. And, and I, being a, a musician, I immediately was like, Oh, I, I can build a guitar amp. I can build a guitar pedal. I can it just I just saw the application for it immediately. Mm -hmm. So I kind of started out being obsessed with electronics and ended up working for many years as uh, an electronics designer. Okay. Uh and uh you know, so when you're like the young engineer newbie guy, uh really like for the first year all I did was lay out circuit boards. Sure. Yeah. Right? Cuz I not only the youngest guy in the engineering department, but the newest, right? And that's kind of the bottom of the pile task right so lots of circuit board layout and eventually you know you start getting to do more circuit design and, and uh and that led and the company i was working for apogee sound um which is not apogee electronics the converter people but apogee sound the loudspeaker people oh, okay um so these are like big concert pas mm -hmm. um you know sound systems that were used at the grammys and the oscars and big tours and things like that um so we were designing electronics that supported loudspeakers. It was kind of a gotcha. packaged, like now you have a powered loudspeaker, right? There's a speaker and an amplifier, and there's mm -hmm. maybe even DSP built in, and it's just all in a box. Right. And that's commonplace. But in the 80s and 90s, that wasn't commonplace. It was almost revolutionary to be selling, although it wasn't packaged in one box, it was an amplifier and a processor and a speaker that was all designed to work together. Uh, gotcha. So it was, cool, it was cool stuff for its day. And uh, so- Started out in electronics, ended up as a speaker designer, and did that for a very long time. And then that company sold, and I started a consulting company. Okay. And started working as an acoustical consultant and sound designer. Nice. Uh, yeah. And you know the trick there is if you make loudspeakers for a living, people ask you, what speaker should I use? Where okay. should I put it? Can you come to my venue and make sure it sounds right? Can you tune mm -hmm. my sound system? Can you train my sound engineers? And so I kind of eventually realized that I could make a living telling people what to do and not have to make stuff. And the manufacturing was kind of a pain. Right, right. So, you know, kind of shed all overhead and just became a consultant. And, nice. uh, and I still do some of that today. I still work 
um, you know, on places of worship and, okay, you know, even basketball arenas and all sorts of places work, you know, straightening out the acoustics of weird rooms and yeah. designing sound systems. I'm kind of a, a little bit of a worship specialist. I've just done so many churches of all yeah. shapes and sizes. Um, and for a long, so for a long time, I was just an acoustical consultant. Mm-hmm. And a little way, but a little ways into being an acoustical consultant, I started to miss being a product designer. So I just, you know, for many, many years, that's what I did. I love designing things. Right, right. You know, just conceiving of something and solving the problems and creating it, making a prototype. It's all of that process I kind of enjoy. And uh, so the weird thought happened to maybe make a guitar. Yeah. Right. Because I knew about sound and product design and acoustics and I was a guitar player and so I just kind of made a guitar. It seemed like right. a good idea. And when I say made a guitar, really what that means is I studied and obsessed intently for a year. Okay. Yep. I just got you. reading everything I could find. And then after about a year of just consuming everything I could get my hands on, I started to cut some wood. Right. Because right? I felt like, all right, I sort of know what I'm doing. I get the concepts. And, you know, so, and then, you know, one guitar turns into five, you know, which, Turns into 50, which yeah, becomes eventually I'm now a full-time guitar builder and a part-time consultant. Right. Right. Well, it's kind of it's kind of funny though how everything kind of um led into where you are today. You know, yeah, it all it, informed the yeah, final it, spot, I guess, right? Yeah. Assuming and, this is the final spot. Well, I don't I, know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Someone like your personality, I don't feel like it is. I mean, it it'll it might be you find your next thing and instead of being a part time consultant and full time guitar builder, you'll be a full time whatever the next thing is. And <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just occasionally building guitars for people. But I, I've tr I try to I like to have these conversations and, and have the perspective of people that have, have done it throughout their lives because it's really hard to tell people that in that initial stage of like man, you never know what's going to happen with this. By doing this, you don't know how that's going to affect what could happen in the future. You know what I mean? That's and right. It, it, it's kind of the same thing of like, um, I, I'm still trying to find my place in the world, man. To be honest with you, I'm just a guitar player. I love playing. I love gigging. I, I, that's, that's what I am. Like, you know, I, and one of the biggest rules with, the, with that sort of environment is you always say yes to whatever opportunity comes available because you never know who you're going to meet or what the opportunity is going to be because of that. You know, yeah, that but, mentality of being open to things is right. just super important. Yeah. Well, and like you said, the skills that you had acquired throughout your life are now translating into what you're doing now. So yeah, it, I mean, it's as a, a, as a 20 year old sitting there laying out circuit boards for amplifiers or whatever, like it's right. the this thing from my mind that I would be having a guitar company. Just, right not even the kernel of an inkling yeah but yeah it all just slowly morphs and travels and becomes and things change and you meet people and yeah yeah it's gonna be good with going with the flow a little bit well i think that's Keeping what your you eyes to... open yeah i think that's... Out... <laughs> go ahead sorry no no you're fine i i was just gonna say i think that's what you have to do in the, any creative space i mean you can't have like a set plan because stuff just changes all the time you know, especially in this day and age, perfect example would be any, any of the new social media platforms that come out. You know, you have to be able to adjust if that's where you're making your money to all of these different things. And that's not just specific for creatives. I mean, that's just business in general. You always have to be able to, you know, okay, here's the issue that we're coming into now. We need to, uh, what's, what's the good buzzword that people like to use? We need to pivot to this, you know <laughs> what I mean? Right. This, this mentality now or, or whatever the, the processes that we're doing but 
um that first guitar that you made though i'm assuming it was probably the best thing you've ever made right and it was just perfect in every way and you know there are no issues or anything like that let's just say it was good enough to motivate me to build another one okay there you go right that's a that's fair yeah um it, but i know where it is like i that guitar i gave it to my sister-in-law for christmas oh nice so every once in a while i get to see it and play it and it's been a little while since i've played it but Last time I did see it, I remember thinking, yeah, this thing actually sounds pretty good. It plays all right, but it looks a little rough. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. You know, the workmanship and the, just, the, just the fit and finish level of perfection. I mean, not that I am the highest level of perfection. Well, sure. it's a continuum, right? You're always getting better and looking back. I'm like, ooh, well, I guess I can see that that was my first. Yeah. Well, the aesthetics part comes, I think, with time and practice. Like, I think you would agree with anything you've done previously. I mean for instance, laying out circuit boards or, you know, helping people design, you know, having their rooms fit, whatever they're trying to do for sound. I mean, that's not something you can just like be good at right away. You know, a same thing with the aesthetics of guitars. I mean, you have to get your hands on with the task and physically do the thing before you're really yep. going to perfect those things. It just is a lot of absorbing yeah. of things, things you see, things you hear. Yeah. Things you yeah. experience. Well, because like you said, I'm, I'm sure you said it played pretty good. And, you know, I, I'm sure that attributes to that year that you really spent deep diving, you know, figuring out how to make the thing. And, and what, what year was that, if you don't mind me asking, when that happened? I think it was 2008. Okay, cool. That I started studying. Maybe 2009, I finished the first one. I think it gotcha. took me a year to make. It was, it was sort of weird, right? Like It was like study for a year. That was probably 2008. It took me a year in my spare time to build the first guitar, which was an acoustic guitar, kind of an yeah. OM. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so that was probably 09, the first guitar. And then 2010, I, you know, it was probably like three guitars, and it just kind of ratcheted up from there. But Sure. Well, with, with the guitar building, you know, especially for, for people starting out, um, I, I don't know. It seems like a lot of people that, that get into the music field as far as building, they more gravitate, at least from my perspective of pedals, because it's easier to source parts, it's easier to build. It's not too hard to solder. You know, once you learn how to solder, it's relatively simple. Yeah. Uh, but but the guitar thing always kind of like really amazes me because that's that's like a really big leap of faith once you decide to take that full time. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. The pedal thing, and, and, and I don't mean this to sound insulting in any way to the, the folks that are doing this, but it's what I would think of as a low barrier to entry sure. sort of profession. Right, like the the cost of the materials to buy to build one is low. The tools you need, the cost of that is low. The space you need is low. So it's just not hard to. I mean, it's always hard to make a successful business, but it's not Absolutely. hard to try and make one. Right. Rare. Yeah, you're right. Making a guitar, all of a sudden, I need more space and bigger tools and just a little. And it's also a little less formulaic. You okay. Know, the pedal, you can buy a kit. Sure. And and you can buy a guitar kit, but there's you know, when you talk about thicknessing woods, like for an acoustic guitar, carving the braces, you know, they may provide you with a kit, but really turning that into the final product, there's a, um, more variables there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It isn't just I soldered the parts in and I did it right, so it works. Well, yeah, I mean, any any parts guitars that I've ever seen is, is just a blank body, a blank neck, and, you know, a pit guard with all the electronics you need. So you're not really, like, building a guitar, you're just you're taking something that you're just modding at that point. Right. And I was always building a guitar. So I was always starting with lumber, even from the yeah. beginning. You know, it comes in as lumber, goes out as a guitar. Right. 
where were you kind of um sourcing everything from at that time or was it just kind of like get where you could get or get whatever you could get well there's a handful of um well-known suppliers mm -hmm. of tools and and materials um like you know stumac of course sure. everyone i think knows them uh, but on the commercial side, you know, especially for wood purveyors, you know, there's, um, Luthiers Mercantile. Okay. Wind Northern California near me, there was a place called Allied Luthery. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some others. So there, there were some, some companies, uh, that specialize in wood for guitar building. It's okay. just it's specialized enough. Like, you know, you'll hear stories of somebody going to Home Depot and picking through the pile of maple. Sure. And they find the best board and they make a guitar from it. And that's fine, but it's also nice to go to a place that has done that already. And right. everything in there is amazing. Right. And then when you pick through their pile, it's like unbelievably amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and I'm sure it's nice these days compared to what you were doing because now I could just get online and probably find a plethora of anybody that could supply the material that I it need. It is a little, little bit easier to get materials now, although even in 2010, you know, you could go online and buy some of this. Sure, stuff. sure, I, sure. Yeah. I was just lucky that two of the main main, uh, main suppliers, Luthiers Mercantile and Allied Luthery at the time, were within 30 miles of me. Like right. I could drive there and go look at a stack of wood and be like, wow, look at all this. Sure. You know, especially as a new newbie at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was probably one of the things that made you pretty successful at it. I mean, if it was harder to resource that sort of material, you know, it might have... Um, I don't want to say you specifically, but to the average person that might have discouraged them from really wanting to pursue that, you know, right. You know, you're hard, right. The fact that I could just drive up the street and just go get some amazing tone wood. Sure. It yeah. Just, yeah. It does. It's like, uh, it simplifies one little aspect of it at least. Right. So that first one was the acoustic. Did you, you stuck with acoustics for a little while or? Yeah. I probably built at least four acoustics before I made my first electric. Okay. Um, and uh, and that was kind of a conscious decision because I started to realize that, you know, I was making an okay acoustic, mm -hmm. fine, but there are so many people building unbelievable acoustic guitars out there in the world. Sure. Right. Why would it's kind of like a marketing question. Why would somebody buy a guitar from acoustic guitar from me? Right. And I was having trouble coming up with an answer to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, it's, you can customize it. That's cool. Um, it's cool that it's handmade by somebody you could know. That's all cool. But there's so many other people that have a longstanding reputation of doing this well. Right. So, although I, and I still build acoustic guitars, I get orders for them and I'm, ha I enjoy building them. Uh, it's just not my main. Sure. Not my main thing. I guess I don't try to, I don't try to attack that market. Yeah. So when you started doing the electric stuff, um, when did you kind of start to settle on like the specific body styles of like the Mendocino and the Folsom's and stuff like, or did, was that kind of like a refining? Yeah, period? I started out with more like a three thirty five style instrument in in mind. So okay, something bigger. Yeah. Um. So I was trying to build a three thirty five that was lighter. Okay. And more acoustically lively. Uh, it was a single cutaway. It doesn't look like a three thirty five, but just yeah, you know, in my mind, it was like an alternative to a 335 that would be more acoustic. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reason I was thinking about this, there's probably a lot of reasons, but one of them was, you know, in my opinion, the 335 came into existence uh, in part uh, in an ever or an ongoing search for feedback rejection. Right? Okay, so yep, so yep. 50s, 60s, 70s, 
you know, if you were playing a bigger and bigger and bigger venue, that just meant you had a bigger and bigger guitar amp and you cranked it up louder. Right. Right. Which meant your guitar fed back. Mm -hmm. So the guitars kept getting more and more and more stiff so they wouldn't feed back. And eventually they became solid bodies, right? Mm -hmm. But like an L5, which was an acoustic instrument, became a laminated instrument. Then right. it got a center block and then it got thinner. And then, yeah, so all of these things are making it more feedback resistant. So when you're on a giant stage with, with tons of amps cranked up, it doesn't feed back. Mm -hmm. But now everyone's kind of playing small amps and you got right. a giant PA system for the audience to listen right. to. So you could actually put a little bit of acoustic life back in the instrument and you're not in danger of uncontrolled feedback because you, your stage volume is lower. You're playing through a Princeton. Right. So I sort of felt like we, we could back up. We could put some life back in the guitar because of the, of the way the PA systems are configured and that you're playing a smaller amp. And that was kind of the guitar I decided to design. Mm -hmm. Like I saw, like we could take a 335 and make it go backwards and make it more acoustic. Right. Uh, and then they just evolved from there. And what I found was every time I made it smaller, it sold better. Right. So okay. the first well, one was a 16 inch, right? Because uh, that's because a, that's a, a 335 is a 16 inch and mm -hmm. it's just a common size. But then I made a 15 inch and then a 14 inch. And it's just every time it's it just sort of, I could see the pattern that, you know, sales volume would go up. And, you know, maybe sales volume was going up partly because I was just slowly growing as sure. a company. But it also seemed to be tied to the size of the instrument. Yeah. Until I finally ended up with like the Mendocino, which is only 13 and a quarter inches. It's the size of a normal electric guitar, let's say. It's not like mm -hmm. a big semi hollow body even though it is semi-hollow. You're right. Well, um, speaking of the Mendocino, uh, the, oh, what was that demo? I think it was the, um, the junior that RJ Ranjulio did. That was mm -hmm. like the first time I kind of, you know, really. That's a great sounding demo. Yeah, dude. He, he, that killed yeah. it. Absolutely killed it. You know, and then that's like, like I said, I, I, I've been kind of in and out of the gear world, so it's like, but RJ was always one of those guys I always watched on YouTube, even when I was kind of in and out, just because he was entertaining to watch. He always had a great sound. Yeah. And I remember seeing that, and then some of the other stuff that he has played. And then, uh, you know, talk about, um, you know, things not realizing, or not realizing how things are going to play out. Um, one of the early guests I on, had on here was uh, Danny Rabin from Marvin. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and I'm sitting here watching him now, you know, yeah, going yeah, through and doing some stuff work. with you guys. Yeah, it's it's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a hell of a player, isn't he? He is insane. <laughs> when I first saw when I first saw Marvin, it was that like initial push of like um, Redline and whatnot they put online where they're just doing those mm -hmm. studio sessions, and I was just like, "What is this? Where is this coming from? This crazy talented band and." Um, yeah, I got to see him down at the uh, the Cobra. Oh, when was that? Uh, down in Nashville, oh, not too long ago, a little while ago. But yeah, killer, killer show. So yeah, I guess I've only recently become aware of him. You know, friend of a friend kind of thing. Sure. And then, but the same sort of thing. It's like he says, "Oh yeah, you know, my check out my new album. It's it's Wild Horses or no, it's something Horses. What is it? Uh, not Wild Horses." Anyway, whatever his new album is, he said, yeah, right. check that out. I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, I'll check it out. You throw it on in the shop, and everyone in the shop just sort of like stopped working. They're like, what is this? Right. This is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of cool because, you know, it, and you making that first guitar, I mean, you, you're getting to, you know, some of the people that play your stuff, man. It's, it's like you, you had no intention of ever getting to that point. And now, you know, here you are with these, you know, awesome artists and people that will show off your gear. 
you know it's yeah it's just just roll with it right yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't uh couldn't have predicted any of this as a matter of fact in the beginning i kind of thought of this as a retirement plan okay i thought yeah. i thought well you know i'll start building some guitars you know and in 20 years or 30 years whenever it's time for me to retire right as an old dude in the shop or as an old dude you need something to do when you're retired right i'm not sure one to sit around and do nothing and absolutely my always doing something so i thought all right you know, I could be 75 years old. I could be 85 years old and work in the shop, even just a couple hours a day, have something to do, make a guitar, make a few thousand extra dollars each month, whatever. I don't know. Like, it, like my goal wasn't to be what I am now necessarily. It was just sure. to create something that could be useful and enjoyable down the road. Right. And then it just sort of, I don't want to say it grew quickly because it's been a long time, right? It's, well, but it's been growing steadily. More so than I, I hadn't anticipated, I guess. Yeah, the, the quickly thing and, and the growth thing in business is always very relative to, to whatever, you know, your expectations are. And if your expectations were to make a handful of guitars and make, you know, a couple thousand dollars every month and just call it, kind of call it good, then you're doing fantastic as far as <laughs> right. the business goes, you know what I mean? Right. Um, when, when was kind of the point, though, that you realized that you kind of, could take this full time and and really kind of you know push out a lot of guitars you know not not just as like yeah. that part time uh, well I'll just do this for fun if I retire thing right so I, there was a period there in the beginning you know three four five years into it something like that maybe mm -hmm. six where I was selling and building maybe five or six custom guitars a year mm -hmm. and that just seemed cool right. And maybe seven custom guitars a year, whatever. Yeah, you know, I don't know, whatever the number is. Less than 10, certainly. Sure. Um, and in, in continuing to design models, just because I enjoy doing that, I, I ended up designing the Mendocino. And as I was designing it, I, I realized that it had um, some characteristics that made it kind of easy to make. Mm -hmm. It was very manufacturable, let's say. Okay. And so I kind of started having the idea that I could mass produce this model. Uh, you know, mass production, of course, sure. is re all relative, right? Right. Like compared to eight a year, it's <laughs> right, right. It's, you know, eight a month now, mass production. But, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that was kind of it. Is like this? It's almost like the the product made me realize that this is very makeable. Yeah. And it's really kind of cool. And it's got kind of a thing going on. And, you know, I could probably build these in batches and, and not, you know, and, and turn it into a little bit more of a, of a company versus yeah. a little one man shop, just making custom things. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, and I, so I also made a, at that time made a, what was kind of a big investment. Cause I, I thought if I'm going to go into production um, you know, you can't just it's, it's just, it's just like when an artist releases a new album, right? You go to all this work to make the album, but then you have to promote the album, right? right. You can't just put it out there and it mm -hmm. just dies because no one knows it exists. Right. So same sort of thing with this new Mendocino model. I thought, all right, I have to actually let people know it exists if I want to actually have this thing be a going concern. <laughs> So I invested some money in uh, advertising, and I went to Nam with it. Had a, you know had a booth, and Premier Guitar came and saw it and reviewed, interviewed me. And I think they may have even kind of called it the coolest thing of the show that year or something like that. Hey, whatever. there you go. Yeah, 
Um, and so that was probably, I don't know, eight years ago or something like okay. that. Okay. Okay. But, you know, so it was like that one model made me realize that I could, I could turn this into something. And then that started getting traction and then it expanded from there. So it's not just the one model, right? But there's the baritone version and the bass version and the, you know, on and on and on. But, um, but it was kind of model. It wasn't like, I want to start a guitar company. It was like, wow, I just designed this cool thing. Yeah. Right. And then I, I could probably do something with this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I was kind of going to, I'm happy you kind of talked about NAM a little bit because uh, you actually just came back from it uh, a few yeah. weeks ago, right? Yeah. Um, and how many times will this be for you now going to well NAMM? i mean i've been to nam countless times but exhibiting well, yeah. uh, i've probably only exhibited at nam one i want to say five times i don't know something like okay. that because there was kind of a big gap right because it was three right. and a half years where i didn't sure. exhibit over the yeah. covid period absolutely yeah so I the was... last the last time i exhibited was summer nam pre-covid so that was like almost three and a half years ago I think. yeah yeah so with with that gap you had, I, I'm assuming I, I haven't heard from a whole lot of people about it, but I have heard a few things about it. How how was the Nam experience this you this year for you? It was compared great. to previous. Okay, cool. See exactly yeah. that's what I've heard from people. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I hear all sorts of random stuff. You know, pe you know what they say about opinions, right? So sure, sure. Um, I was I heard some YouTube guy talking about how horrible the show was, and at some point, if you listened really carefully, he had mentioned he didn't actually go. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, why are you putting up a video tell, you know, right. about how good or bad the show was? Um, so the show was physically smaller, yeah. Right, the, the it was one floor. The whole downstairs wasn't happening, and there were fewer people. But it, it wasn't fewer people like it was a ghost town. It was fewer people like you could do business. It wasn't like just overrun where you're bumping into people and you can't even walk through the aisles. And it wasn't insane. It was just normal to me. Right. So that was good. Um, and it did seem like the people that were there were a little more business oriented. Okay. I think Nam was being a little stingier with passes. So there were less sort That's of random fair. people with passes right. that were just in the booth to play guitar and sure. Whatever. Right. Right. Um, so I, I, it went, for me, it went super well. Booth was crazy busy the whole time. Yeah. Nice. Well, and, and that's the thing I was kind of iffy about because I, I just, I, I've never been to any Nams. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of happy. I, I never got to go pre COVID because just the amount of people there, like people have told me is just insane and you can't even hear yourself think, you know, yeah. it's at least from what I've heard, you know, and oh. I, I can imagine that is definitely the case, but those first few times, um, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, you know, the basement is usually where the, the smaller people are usually at, but where the cooler stuff usually is at too, from, yeah. from people I've heard about. So was, uh. The first time you we went to Nam was that kind of where you were at in that no, area, as, or as a matter of fact, the first first several times I went, I didn't even do the the winter show. For, okay, I, the show was so big and so crazy, and I'd be this tiny little booth downstairs. Would anybody sure. even find me? I just didn't feel like it was worth it. So I did I always did summer Nam in Nashville. Nice, yeah. So a little smaller show, a little less expensive, a little more guitar centric. Yeah, mm -hmm. actually, it's not a little bit smaller; it's a lot smaller show. Sure, uh, yeah. But um, but it was also easier to get noticed by the press, easier okay. to get noticed in general, like just people walking the floor would notice you and come into your booth versus, you know, it's just just the scale of it is easier to deal with. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would always do a booth at Summer Nam 
Mm-hmm. And then at Winter Nam, I would sponsor some offsite concerts and clinics and oh you know, nice. Just have some events that's kind of associated with the with the time and and video those and that would just kind of give me content to dole out over the next few months. Right. Um and I'd go on the damn I'd go to the show floor, but like some of the years I might go to the show floor for two hours one day and be just like, I'm out of here. This is too much. Right. You know? Right. Well, it's like almost one of those things where you're just hit with so much noise for so such a long yep. amount of time that your equilibrium almost like is <laughs> off when you get out into the, the normal world and you know you can just hear yeah. everything clearly and everything just starts you know coming around you and shaking your head a little bit uh but with the uh with the content thing that's one of the things that i've really tried to push with people especially trying to establish themselves like some of these i have a few friends that are trying to do like the demo stuff but it's all the same you have to brand yourself as a certain way and you have to push out a lot of content um what are kind of some of the avenues I, obviously you have the artists that do demos for you but but what are some of the other avenues that you kind of take for you to get you know grez out to the world yeah i um you know this is kind of the thing where there's no right or wrong answer and absolutely you know, the, way, the way i did it is there, let's say there are people who have done exactly the opposite of what i do mm-hmm. and been successful or, or so this is you know this is what i've done take it with a grain of salt, but, um, you know, I, I have been investing in print ads for kind of a long time. Okay. And, you know, so people love to say how the magazines are dead, mm-hmm. you know, print is dead. They've been saying print is dead for 30 years yet. It's still here. Right. Um, so, you know, I think the reality is that it's more about targeted marketing. Okay. Yeah. Right. So a 20 year old is not going to see an ad that I put in premier guitar magazine. Absolutely. Right. But a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old is, mm-hmm. and they buy guitars too. Right. So, you know, so so the print ad, and you know who else looks at print ads still, believe it or not, is dealers. So if you're oh, looking, yeah. mm-hmm. if you're looking for dealers, if that's something you want, they are influenced by and they respond to print ads. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um so print ads have been successful for me. Um I do, of course, you know, Instagram and Facebook. And the same thing with Facebook. Everyone says Facebook is dead, yet I sell tons of guitars through Facebook. Right. Right. Because although it may be dying in that the the core user group is aging, right, and the younger people aren't using it, there's still people in there and there's still business being done. Right. So it's not right. really dead. It's just It's just a piece of the puzzle, right? You just can't look at it like, oh, I just do Facebook and I'm successful. Right, right. So Facebook, Instagram. Uh, print ads, um, you know, my own website and my own content. I try to put up a lot of, um, I guess you'd call it educational content. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I, I put up videos talking about just random things that I do in the shop and mm-hmm. where I get the wood and how I do this or that or, well, see, or what. Yeah. Well, well, that's a cool aspect of it too, because what a lot of people that I've seen that don't, you know, have more of a personal thing and it's just like, Hey, this is the thing. This is what it is if you want to have like a long-term fan base of somebody that's going to buy some stuff off of you, you want to have somewhat of a personal connection or at least a perceived personal connection. And that's yep. how you get that with that sort of media that you're pushing out to them. Uh, something as simple as like you said, just walking through the shop and talking about what you're doing today. You, you're giving that, that feeling of, Oh, I'm hanging out with Barry today and we're just walking the shop. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, um, People, you know, nobody responds well to, tr- to someone trying to sell them stuff. Sure. Um, 
But if you put up a bunch of content that's educational and you're just talking about, well, this is how I do it and this is why, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's for you and maybe it's not. When people go and try to make their own decision and they do their own research and their own deep dive, now there's all of this stuff for them to absorb to help them decide if they're into what I'm doing or not. Right. Versus just a website and a couple of pictures. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, all right, that's a shiny guitar. I don't know. Right, right. Well, and, and that personal deep dive for the individual is where they will find that demo artist that they really enjoy watching. And if they happen to be playing one of your guitars, well, that's even better. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I've, I've talked to other people in the past and, and smaller builders around my area that are talking about just giving like a, a mass product to a bunch of demo people. And it's like, well, yeah, but there's a specific group that watches this person. There's a specific group that watches this person. So you're kind of almost just throwing rice at the wall with with just handing stuff out like that you know what i mean it, it's right. hard to judge that and i'm not saying don't do that but and, and it's a lot different for his thing because he's just doing pedals so it's a little it, it's a little easier for him to you know kind of send out loaners no big deal you know not be worried about stuff yes there's you know? a cost the cost of sending out right. a guitar is pretty high for me right right um yes yeah, so i try i try to do a good job of rotating you know like, like sure. there's a guitar like the, you saw the guitar that danny had yeah in those couple of demo videos well that guitar went to nam Okay. Yeah. And then that guitar went out to a demo mm -hmm. after Nam, and now it's on to its next demo after Nam. Right. You're right. And eventually it's going to come back to me and I'll sell it as a secondhand guitar. Sure, but, sure. you know, it, it, it's not like you're saying, like with pedals, maybe where there's like a dozen of them go out in the world. I, you know, I'll take one and it just rotates for six months and then it comes back. Well, that's, that's a cool way to do it too. And plus, you know, you, you get something back that you can still sell, but you can also give the customer a, a better price at that point, you know, yeah. for, hey, this is, you know, this is, and I'm sure you're, pretty transparent with all that too it's like oh hey this went here this went here this went here you know yep. when the customer's buying it you know so they it's that's an awesome thing too and i mean who knows like for instance the one that danny was playing maybe you've got somebody that's really really huge into marvin and they find out that that guitar is for sale that danny did that, that demo played. with yeah that's true yeah you know and, and that could be for any demo artist because i mean you know it's just as well as i do there's just so many people out there and then there's a, a specific person that watches a specific demo artist well if you have something like that man you never know if that person wants to buy a guitar from you it's like oh great well this is a good deal and the guy that i watch on youtube all the time played it too easy yeah Don't. yeah like i i've definitely had that happen like with magazine reviews right that's like yeah. a selling a selling point like when i have a new model and it goes to, to whatever guitar player whatever mm -hmm. magazine and they review it and there's a photo of it in the magazine uh you know i'm definitely always sure to tell people uh, when they buy that guitar, yours is the one that was in the magazine, right? Right. Okay? And I don't necessarily charge more for that, but it's a cool factor, right? Sure. That people yeah. want like why? Why wouldn't you want if you were going to buy one? How cool is it to have you know the very first one or the second one, and it's the one that was in vintage guitar or whatever? Well, and see, that's that's the appeal for me with builders like yourself because there's more of a uh, there's more of a personal touch that I can actually reach out to the person that's physically building the instrument. And, and have a real conversation, not just like going to a big box music store and getting a bunch off the wall. And I mean, what, for instance, when I bought my Les Paul, I literally pulled every, every guitar off the wall <laughs> to find the one that was perfect. And I was there yeah. forever driving my wife crazy, you know, just, just waiting to find the right one. Yeah. But, but having a smaller company, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. So I hope you don't. No, no, no. Okay. No, no. I, okay. I get it. Yeah. But you know, being able to to send you an email, have a phone call with you, have a, a Zoom meeting with you, figure out exactly what I want in a guitar, 
have you build it and then have it at my house in a relatively short period of time. That's, yep. that's for me as a player, that's like what, what I want. You know what I mean? I don't want to have to like, okay, I see it shipping, man. I hope this thing is good. You know what I mean? At least when I know something that was built for me by a person yeah. I've talked to, I know it's good. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's what you wanted. Exactly. Is there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing that I'm like, oh, I wish it didn't have this or, oh right. man, I got a mod of this now or, you yep. know. Yep. It, or, you know, I hate whatever bone nuts I, you know, or whatever, sure. whatever it is, it just comes the way you want it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, with, with the custom shop stuff that you do, how often are you doing stuff like that these days? Well, in a way, I, everything is custom. Like I actually don't sell sure. that many that are just like, right. Just, Send me a Mendocino base. Gotcha, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I certainly do, but a lot of times it's people calling and they want, you know, can I have a, you know, a red transparent top and a matte finish? Okay, yeah. Sure, right? No problem. But that's custom. So I'm customizing the standard models sure. a lot. Um, Or they want double bath or, you know, whatever, right? All these little things or they have some requirement for a spe special... Um, a neck dimension that they they need or want yeah, gotcha no big deal gotcha but the really custom stuff which would be acoustic guitars uh archtop guitars um well i guess those are the two but <laughs> <laughs> i got you but you know uh you know those i have like a year and a half waiting list for sure sure uh, for the really custom stuff mm -hmm. um but the the more regular stuff even if it's just customized mm -hmm. folsoms or customized mendocinos I, I still deliver those in like eight weeks oh wow uh, Sometimes nine or 10, depending on, sometimes the customization slows things down, depending uh, on how custom it is, yeah. you know, especially with weird finishes that are multi-step processes, right? It's not just clear-code it and move on. Right. Um, but yeah, eight, eight weeks, 10 weeks. So it's really fast. Like you were saying, that whole process from talking to me, uh, sending a deposit, and then it's shipping is just not that much time. Yeah, especially compared to some other, you know, more boutique builders that are, that are doing stuff like that. There's some people that you're waiting quite a while at least from the the people i've reached out to before about making stuff you know what i mean it's it's it's, it's quite a while and i understand why i i completely understand why but it's it's really cool that you you like you were talking about earlier with the mendocino you know you you have a model that is more easily producible yep to be able to get those you know from start to finish build times to your door in two months two yep. months of some change you know what i mean yeah, so. yeah. And I think, you know, the folks who have longer lead times, um, you know, that's totally understandable, whether Absolutely. it's because they can, you know, they have crazy numbers of orders, right? Or yeah. they just, the mm -hmm. shop only allows them to produce so many. So the lead time has to go up, you know, whatever it is, that's fine. Um, but there's a strange mentality with waiting that doesn't register with everybody. So there are people who will contact me and say, oh, yeah, no hurry, whenever it's ready. You know, I look forward mm -hmm. to getting it, but whatever, you know, eight right. weeks, 10 weeks, doesn't matter. But there are people who the idea of waiting doesn't even compute. Like I, I, I can't, I got it. right? Yeah. So I can't tell you how many times I have um, built a guitar on spec. Like once in a while, there's a little bit of free time and I build something extra and I mm -hmm. just put it up for sale, right? It's not because really everything I build is spoken for already. Sure. Um, but I build this extra guitar, whatever it is, put it up and I say, hey, this is for sale. And maybe it sells in a day or a couple of days, whatever. And the comment would be that I get back from the customer was, oh, this is great. I've been waiting for one of these to be available. Oh, and he bought cool. it. Okay. But 
you've been waiting for what, nine months for one to come available so you could buy it now. Right. But you could have ordered it nine months ago and had it in eight weeks. So you could have had it seven months ago. Yeah. But the idea of ordering it and waiting, just it's it's buy now, click here. If it's available, they want it. So there's a whole group of customers that that don't respond to long lead time. They're just not into it. Yeah. So eight weeks seems like a pretty good sweet spot where people are most people are kind of like, Yeah, that's great. That's so short. I I can wait eight weeks. But there are people who won't even do that, right? They'll only sure. buy it if it appears available now. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, right when you said eight weeks, I was shocked, to be honest with you. I mean, I had no clue, you know, that that, that was that quick of a turnaround time. And to me, that is a quick turnaround time. You know, I, I was expecting, I, I wasn't expecting anything outrageous, but, you know, I, I was expecting two months. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty awesome for me, especially to like, like I was getting, like I said earlier, man, you know, the, the level the level of care that I can see, especially from your Instagram and stuff, man, that you, that you, you all really put into the guitars, you know, it's, it's start to finish. It's, it's going to be perfect. You know, the way, the way you want it, you yeah, know, as I a mean, customer. Per, yeah. 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 It's going to be perfect the way you want it. Hopefully perfect as a general statement is always difficult because that's sure. Very, sure. Very um, individual. What perfect means. right? Absolutely. How perfect is perfect? When do you stop? When is mm -hmm. it? Yeah, that's that's a challenge, right? Well, sort of like when you're buffing a guitar. Yeah. When do you stop? <laughs> you could yeah. buff for the rest of your life. At some point, you got to stop and ship it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and there's a there's a phrase that I've always used for for just about everything. You know, I I, I don't expect perfection. I expect progress. You know, as right. long as as long as the progress is continuing, you know, and you're trying to be better. Yep. You know that that's the biggest thing because you're never going to be quote unquote, perfect, right? You know, even to your own standards, you know, there's always something you could do better. But I think that's why, you know, you in this space, you know, building guitars is why you're so successful, because you're, you're trying to be better every time you're trying to make something, you know, that people are going to love when and, it, and the other thing too, I, I can see it in people's faces, especially on the demo side of things. And it's not anything disingenuous there's there's something about an instrument when some people pick it up and it brings them joy and inspiration and you can see <laughs> that with people that that play grass guitars man you really can there's something about the instrument when you're holding it everybody if you're a musician you know it doesn't matter what the instrument is you know if you hit that one chord or that one whatever you're doing there's something in you that's like oh yep. man what is yep. this makes you, know? you grin yeah you know and I can see that, especially, you know, with like, well, RJ is kind of a very expressive player to begin with, but you know, e even with him, you can, you can watch side-by-side -side videos of him playing other stuff. And, uh, and for me, at least when I've seen it's, he really, really enjoys, you know, your stuff, you know? Yeah. I think he probably tries to hide that, not hide, sure. just not, not, well, not hide how much he loves me. Right. But just hide, uh. Uh, when you likes a guitar more or less, I imagine you've got to try yeah. to have your poker face on and look he, the same all the time. <laughs> he, he's got to be objective for sure. He's yeah. got to be objective. But, you, but yeah, man, it's like, it, it's really cool to have instruments that you're putting out into the world. And for me, that's the biggest thing is, is providing that inspiration to those players. Not only are you putting out something that's super aesthetically pleasing to the eyes, but something that really inspires people to want to play you know yeah, and it and that feedback from customers is part of what keeps me going right yeah. i mean sometimes i send guitars out into the world and i never hear from them again but uh but you know often i'll get get you know notes back from people yeah uh, and that's just it's really great to hear that sort of positive 
you know, everyone wants an attaboy here and there, right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, we, we, well, you can't get it all the time because then, you know, you, <laughs> you'll, you'll think you are perfect and then you, you'll have to, you know, get humbled eventually, but no, uh, it, it's, it's just really cool. I always like talking to, to builders and whatnot that are, that are doing it. Cause you can see that passion and that passion translates over into the building, which translate over into the, you know, the customer when they receive it, you know what I mean? Yep. And you it's, were mentioning kind of, I don't know that you use these words, but you were basically mentioning continual improvement. Yeah. And, you know, certainly always looking to do that, right? That's kind of the whole thing with guitar building is you never get there. You're just always trying to get better right. and better and, and master the craft. And, and some of that comes from customer feedback. Absolutely. And I know early on, I was able to get really interesting feedback from a few professional players mm -hmm. that helped me a lot. Um, but even still, I'll get feedback from people here and there. And I'll be like, oh, okay, I'll pay a little more attention to this or that or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, uh, well, yeah, always trying to get a little bit better. Yeah. And, and, and the feedback is good because it either confirms you're doing something right or you need to fix something Yep. or do something better. Or so do it e better. Yeah. Yeah. Either, either way, it's a win-win. You know, it's, it's confirming, okay, I know this is a good process for X, Y, and Z. Or it's like, well, maybe I can tweak this a little bit to improve this aspect of it, you know? So th that's, that's one of the things and that's why I like having these kind of open conversations. Cause I think not enough people understand that. Like, like I said earlier, that, that progress, not perfection. Cause I think, especially in the day and age that we live in with social media, especially with musicians, you know, you see a 12 year old on Instagram that can just absolutely, you know, <laughs> shred your face off and it might demoralize some people, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but just, you know, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're building guitars, pedals, playing your instrument, just progress, not perfection. You know, as long as you're better the next day, that's all that matters. So what's on the horizon for Grez Guitars? Is anything you can talk about or? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, let me think about this. There's, a, there's three new things coming, which I probably haven't spoken of publicly very much. But, okay. You know, what the hell? Okay. Um, so. Next week, I'm finishing the very first um, Mendocino 12-string guitar. Nice. So there'll be a 12-string option, which is sort of fun. I mean, I, I don't... It's the sort of thing I don't know how many of those I'm going to sell. But sure. there are people who are just... They're super into 12-strings. Yeah. And so there'll be some some group of people who will be pleased, hopefully, that there's another option out there in the world. Because there aren't Absolutely. a lot of choices for really good quality 12-string guitars. Mm-hmm. So I'll have a 12-string Mendocino coming out. Um, I have a customer that ordered a five-string Mendocino bass, and I've never nice. made a five-string before. Very so, you cool. know, the way that goes is, you know, I tell them, look, yours is going to take a little longer because it's the first one. But right. when I'm done with yours, it'll become something I can just make. So, you know, in a few months, you know, people will be able to buy five-string basses from me, not nice. just four-string. Yeah. And then later this year, um, I'm going to get into the bass six market. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. And I'm already making a baritone guitar and yeah. a 30 inch scale, like short scale bass. I'm almost there, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you might as well just do it. You might as well just do it. Yeah. So, so That's there'll be, awesome. I, yeah, but before the end of the year, there'll be a, 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 a bass six. Cool. A Mendocino. Okay. I was about to ask, well, you know, I'm assuming the Mendocino was the, the style that you were going to yep. go with as far as that, but yeah, dude, that's awesome, man. I can't wait to see that 12 string. That really kind of perked me up when I heard that, man. That was cool. Yeah. I, I kind of avoided it for a little while because I just sort of thought, ah, you know, it's 
seems fiddly, all those strings. And I don't know. It just wasn't, I was focused on what I was doing. And it seemed like a distraction. But then, you know, it goes back to like paying attention. And and it's sort of like if enough people ask you for it, well, maybe this is not the worst idea. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's a derivative of the Mendocino. So it's not that big of a deal for me to do, right? It's the same wood for the body and the top and the neck and the same frets. I mean, sure, the fretboard's a little wider to account for the extra strings. And sure. But, you know, it's not like we're doing something from the ground up here, right? No. It's all stuff we stock. And, and, and from the yeah. customer perspective, it's something familiar. It's yeah. not anything too ra- radical that they would just be like, well, I don't like that. You know right. what I mean? So, so it's sort of like, I guess it, maybe now I was just finally able to accept the idea right because before you know you're releasing the mendocino and that and then it's like yeah but there's the new baritone Mm -hmm. and there's the new junior and yeah 12 string no i'm i'm doing this now right but i guess for whatever reason the timing was right that i was able to uh, receive that information (laughs) that's a good idea yeah i'm finally doing it yeah i'm super excited about it i mean i can't wait to you know see what you know what what those little improvements you do too because i'm sure it's yeah. not going to be exactly you know like what you're doing right now there's going to be small little tweaks here and there along yeah, with everything yeah. you know so before we wrap this up let's go ahead and get your plugs out of the way so where can everybody find you at yeah grezguitars.com so that's g-r-e-z guitars.com and same thing grez guitars on youtube instagram facebook uh i'm not really doing tiktok although i have an account i'm sorry not tiktok what is it uh twitter uh, twitter thank you there you go yes i never really could bond with twitter so there is a res guitars on twitter but i haven't posted there in years um and i am actually on tiktok although i'm not like super i haven't bonded with it yet but i'm doing a little tiktok yeah tiktok's one of those weird ones for me man because um i have had the most success on tiktok because it's so easy to grow on there Mm. but um i'm trying to not rely so heavily on tiktok you know what i mean so it's, yeah, it's kind of kind yeah. of weird but regardless all those will be linked down in the show notes below so you guys want to check out anything grez guitars just scroll down to the show notes that'll be all right there but barry i had a great time talking to you man it's really informative uh, really like that's what i'm saying i i always i, I almost like being ignorant to a lot of things because i always end up learning a lot from being yeah, out I- of the gear world I appreciate you having me on and, and, uh, I, you know, I'm happy to talk about this stuff, right? Absolutely. I, if, if I didn't want to talk about it, I, something would be wrong, right? Yeah. It'd be a little weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, do, you're doing this for your business, but we're not going to talk to anybody about it. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't have, you'd have a very expensive hobby at that point. Yep. So, all right. Well, for Barry, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up and we will check you guys next week on man, the helm podcast. Awesome. See you guys. Mm-hmm.